You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. All right, Downers, what's going on? Welcome to the show. Today we're going to talk to Allison Denisco Rayom. She's a staff writer for Tech Republics, and she covers stuff like cybersecurity and something that's particularly interesting to me, the convergence of tech and the workplace. It's just a fun place to spend time thinking. She's written a ton of articles that are really good. The Tech Republic website is good. And so well, we're going to talk about cybersecurity and if it's important and what's important for us to do. We're going to talk about artificial intelligence, you know, augmented reality, virtual reality, and jobs, all this kind of stuff. And I think you'll enjoy this episode very much. Let me ask you guys to please do me a favor and bookmark a Amazon link to shop through. That's right. If you shop on Amazon and you go to my website and find the Amazon link in the navigation, then bookmark it. And when you shop there, they'll actually give me credit in the form of dollars on some small percentage of what you spend there. And if you're going to be spending money there anyway, might as well let me take a you know little hit from their end, if you know what I'm saying. And that will support this show directly. And I do appreciate it. I really do. This it really does add up. I can make a couple hundred bucks a month or more uh, just from that, and uh, and then I could use it because freaking childcare. Have you ever heard of that? I mean, it's like the amount of money it costs me to come to a podcast is much. It's not offset well by twenty dollars an hour of childcare at home, for instance. So just to let you know, but I am enjoying doing the show. I've got a bunch of cool stuff coming up, and we're going to get into doing uh, a bunch of fun stuff with the Emory record and the new tracks and all the technical stuff in there very, very soon. So uh, you know, anyway, keep supporting the show. I do appreciate the word of mouth. It probably means more than anything the messages and the word of mouth and stuff like that. So I hope you enjoy the episode today. And of course, Rockabilia is where you get your band merchandise. That's where you get the awesome pop culture stuff that's both good, comfortable, uh, expressive, make you feel good, support artists, officially licensed, all that stuff, rockabilia.com. And you can even get 15% off if you use the promo code BCPCJabberJaw, and you'll get 15% off. Okay, let's do it. Thank you, Dada. Break it down, oh, break it down. 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 Let's met Cutter. Yeah. Good to see you. Yeah, uh, you too. Thank you so much for having me on. I think you must do other podcasts. You have a good webcam and a background and everything. Oh, yeah. No, we've done a couple. Thanks for spending some time with me and my audience today. I think that they're going to get a kick out of this. I've seen a lot of stuff that you write, and it's just up, it's up my alley. And so, uh, great. you know, I wanted to kind of jump in. The first one thing I want to talk about is cybersecurity, which is that's in – I'm a tech type person. I love to think about technology and stuff like that, but that one I don't like to think about. I like to avoid. Mm -hmm. I like to pretend that's there's no fair. such thing. So that's probably a bad idea, and I get it, 
But I find mm-hmm. in general that people, like my dad's real nervous about buying something on Amazon, for instance. Like that's mm-hmm. dangerous and they're going to get, Amazon's going to get him if he gives them his credit card number. That's not sure. reasonable, of course. And so I do come from a point of view where I feel like people over uh, estimate risks and I like to figure out what the risks are and then live with them. Like I would do riding in a car or flying on a plane. But can you help me calibrate my thinking on cybersecurity um, and it's important. Can you scare me into taking it seriously? <laughs> sure, I can definitely try. So it's a very complex topic, of course. Um, you know, cybersecurity is on a basic level just protecting yourself against criminal or unauthorized use of electronic data or the steps that you're taking to do that. So we've definitely seen a lot of high-profile data breaches in the news these past few years, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of companies have realized that it's no longer really an issue of if it's going to happen to them, but when it's going to happen to them. But at the same time, we can't, as you said, stop shopping online at this point or really stop going about our day-to-day lives in fear that this is going to happen to us. So it's really kind of about taking steps that you can take individually to protect yourself and also that companies should be taking to protect their customers and their data. Mm-hmm. But there are definitely ways to prevent some of this from happening kind of at a basic cyber hygiene level. So as it is currently, is the danger that the companies are going to compromise our information and is there anything we can do about that versus just our passwords and our Wi-Fi and our smart cameras and whatever? It's definitely a little bit of both. There's Mm -hmm. potential for either things to happen. You know, a lot of the times on the company level, the breaches are due to basic things that should have been in place that would have protected them. Um, Actually, a report last year from Kaspersky Lab found that about 93% of all breaches in 2017 could have been avoided with simple cyber hygiene practices like regularly updating software, blocking fake emails, training employees to recognize phishing attacks, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So there's definitely things that companies should be doing. But then on the individual level, there are things we can do as well. Uh, One of the most common types of attacks right now is called phishing, which is when you get an email that's trying to get you to click on a link or download an attachment that's actually something malicious and they want you to reveal your password or your credit card information or any other kind of data. And in some cases, these actually go further, which is called spear phishing, when someone will kind of look you up on social media or on your work website, get some information about you and your network, and then they'll pretend to be someone that you know, a friend or a colleague in an email to, again, get you to kind of click mm, that link. I'm and not familiar with that one. Tell me in spear phishing, well, first of all, regular phishing, I'm pretty familiar with. I'm sure it's happened to me a time mm-hmm. or two. And several times, which is the disturbing part, I've catched phishing scams and realized, oh, I almost did that. That's not even, the mm-hmm. you know, that looks like the Google website. It isn't if you look at the URL or whatever it is. Uh, so exactly. that's the, th- the tip there, I suppose, is that if anybody's ever asking you for a password or a, what are the other things they ask you for? Mm-hmm. Usually to go log in. This a prompt to go click to a URL and then go log in typically on phishing, right? Yeah, often it'll be something to get you to log in somewhere or to enter your credit card information mm-hmm. somewhere. And the best way to kind of protect against that, which, you know, it can be hard to tell who's sending these messages when it appears to be from someone you know, but to really pay attention uh, if something seems unusual, like something that this friend or colleague wouldn't normally send you or ask you to click on, definitely avoid that. But it would and be, like that. Said, I'm sorry, but that's mm-hmm. spear phishing then. It'd be in the form of like your aunt, yeah. You know, yes. Jessica mm-hmm. has now emailed you, and what would the typical body of that message look like? Um, it could be anything. A lot of times it might just be like, oh, click here for vacation photos, or it could really uh, seem like something that you'd want to click on, yeah. or other times it might seem sketchy and say, oh, click here to transfer me money. I'm stuck in Canada, you know, wherever. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so it's definitely, there's a lot of different vectors that they're doing this, but it's really you have to pay attention to those URLs to anything that seems fishy. You know, if you can give the person a call to find out if it was really them and just double check that before you immediately click and give up that information. Yeah, double check. That 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 one is dangerous. I mean, there's people that are trained on it that still get fished at companies and everything, mm-hmm. which I guess is what, how the companies wind up getting breached. Anyway, it's the same practice as bad passwords and phishing is how yes, they even exactly. get into the whatever it would be the... Sony or mm-hmm. Ashley Madison or whatever p- people get hacked out there, whatever that is. Yeah, no, unfortunately, employees are always kind of the weakest link when it comes to cybersecurity and humans in general. And that's you oh, know hard man, to accept sometimes because we're also we're also the biggest asset to companies, of course. But for now, in the end, you know, we're the most vulnerable <laughs> point for now <laughs> until the robots take over, at least. Well, so that's yeah, that's a, you think of hackers and the cyber criminals out there like they're just typing furiously at some screen and nailing the prompts and going into the mainframe, all that. But really, they just target people and get access and then go do what they want to do. That's the easy way to be a cyber criminal is the human gate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I didn't think of it that way before. And so, but on the company, is there anything we can do? Like, how, it just seems hopeless. I mean, how many companies have my information? All, it feels like all of them already. I mean, there's hundreds. It's not a few. It's not like I could go through and analyze the security of what does Facebook do with my information or my Dropbox account or the whatever. You know, so many things that I have online access to that, that, that have my data, credit card companies, everything. I mean, there's is there anything... I can do there or need to do or just hope that they do their jobs. Yeah, it can be scary. It is overwhelming. And, you know, especially I think in the United States, we've traded a lot of our privacy and our information for kind of convenience and for mm-hmm. services. And and sometimes that's not a bad thing because you want to get those services and that convenience, but it is always kind of going to be a risk. And I think, you know, you can avoid storing your credit card in a place potentially, or you can um, kind of, call companies or, you know, send emails saying that you're concerned about privacy. I think it's something that a lot of people are obviously paying a lot more attention to now, especially after the Facebook Cambridge Analytica scandal. And I think people are more interested in where their information is going. And some websites are building in that capability now. Like you can see on Facebook what's being targeted to advertisers, what Mm -hmm. their profile that they've built of you is and everything. So, um, but in a lot of ways, yeah, you do have to kind of hope that companies are the ones who are paying the most attention and are putting in those safeguards to protect your information. You know, in Europe now, there's the law called General Data Protection Regulations that's put a lot more sanctions on companies and what they can and cannot do in terms of storing people's information. So it's possible that something like that could come to the U.S. as well in the future. Well, what about um, what about this other stuff in our homes? Like I was I was reading an article of yours that talked about the Wi-Fi and the Roku and the Sonos, and man, I use all those. Love them. What what's my oh, liabilities yeah. there? Um, again, it kind of depends. All basically, any device tends to have some kind of vulnerability that somebody can figure out and exploit. And the hope is that you know the good guy researchers, like the person who did that study, can figure out what those are and alert the company so that they can patch those mistakes. And ultimately, one of the things you can do to best protect yourself, no matter what technology you use, is stay up to date in terms of software updates and patches. You know, I know I'm guilty sometimes of ignoring an update on my iPhone or something like that, but it's really those are the ways that companies are fixing their mistakes mm. and trying to keep you safe. So always keep that That's stuff up to date if you can. Because a lot of them it says bug fixes and security. You're like, I don't care. I want a new feature, whatever. But that's exactly. that, the reason they had to do that emergency update that they probably stayed up on working on all night for the last two nights is because there's an, a real issue that they wanted to fix quickly. And that's mm-hmm. maybe that may be underlying that update that seems unimportant to you. 
Oh, definitely. And that's probably most updates at this point are fixing things like that. So definitely don't ignore them. Yes, that's a, that's a very good tip too. But I don't really understand what the vulnerability is on my Sonos. What, who, who can get into that to do what? Like, just- Well, basically with what we call Internet of Things, so all connected devices that are in your house, like you said, Sonos, um, Roku, smart thermometers, kind of anything. Right. Um, basically, all of those are connected to your home Wi-Fi network and to everything. So if someone gets into one of those devices, which often are not protected by a strong password or don't have a lot of security built into them because we just weren't thinking about that when we built them, then they can kind of get into anything. So I don't know if you've seen Mr. Robot, the TV show. Mm-hmm. But there's an episode where someone's in kind of a smart house, so they have all these connected devices, and hackers are able to go in basically and it's on and off, turn the thermometer up really high, turn her water down really cold while she's in the shower. So there are ways that people could kind of perform an attack on you in that way, but also get into your network. And then if they have access to that, maybe they could access your email, your credit card information, anything that you've logged into on that network, that kind of stuff. Is that a reasonable worry for just a guy that lives on whatever street with a hundred other houses with Wi-Fi networks though? I can't imagine being targeted for something like that. Like, I mean, you know, I know there's prowlers that will pull, see if your back door is unlocked at night, too. I, I get it. But is it? Oh, sure. It, it yeah. seems. I think, I mean, it's a high volume of people, obviously, that use these and a hacker's not going to attack everybody, but it is possible. So I don't know that you need to be worried, you know, each and every day. But I think you should take those steps if you can change a password on something from a default password, you know, just do the small things that mm-hmm. it takes to keep yourself a little bit safer. Yeah, I guess password might be the best thing. That's what I want to talk about next. But yeah, I mean, those smart devices, I've got them all. Is there any particular ones that are bad? Like certain types of smart internet of things that you should avoid because they're so vulnerable? Um, I don't know if there's anything you should avoid at this point. I do think you should do your research um, and, you know, look up at what security protections are in place. You know, do the companies providing these give any, not necessarily guarantee, but, you know, talk about, what protections they have? Are they reputable? Um, just do a little bit of research before you make a purchase, I'd say. But the lazy password guy that uses this one at your office and your Gmail and and your, the new photo app you signed up for, that's that's always bad, right? That's definitely always bad. But we have learned recently that the guy who originally told us that our password should you know, have an uppercase letter and a special character and all of those things, he's actually come out and said that that's not really a helpful way to make passwords oh, anymore. Good. And that hackers, yeah, exactly. So what we've been doing has been wrong, basically, and that hackers can still figure those out. So I'm glad so I've been lazy then. That's, that's, my, oh, that's yeah. my point. <laughs> Maybe you've been fine all along. Well, um, but yeah, his advice now is to actually create passwords that are um, like long like a list of phrases. So have a few words linked together that wouldn't normally be together and that that's a better way to make it. So you could memorize it easily too, instead of, have to, you know, mm-hmm. the, the thing about that is it's so impractical to do the character or use a three to represent an E or something. You know, I've tried all that stuff, but then the, that moment where you're trying to do something and you have to get creative to come up mm-hmm. with a password is just a real pain in the ass. It's just so poorly designed point. Cause you're, late for something you got to log in you got to reset your password you got to come up with a new one and it's you're like and i'm gonna have to remember it now do i you know you're it's always so terrible that it it causes people to go into the lazy mode and use the same password or or do the bad thing so that is a pretty helpful strategy and and then should should you maintain all your passwords differently for every single account though if you do the list of phrases way 
which I love that idea. Ideally, yeah, no, ideally you should have a different password for every single account, you know, especially for those big, you know, your bank, your email, those kind of things. But, um, you know, a lot of people are now are using password managers. So that's one place where you can keep everything, you know, mm-hmm. in one position so you don't forget them as easily. And, you know, in that case, you just need to keep remembering to update that as well. So, oh, password but, yeah, manager, it's, it's, how is that secure though? That seems like if you just put them all in one place, then that, that what, what do they do? Hack that? So what? Yeah, no, that could be another issue as well. I don't know a ton about password managers, to be honest, but I know that there are some out there and I'm sure they must have things like multi-factor authentication mm-hmm. and other things in place to try and protect those more. That's, yeah. that's, that's probably right. The, I like the list of phrases. Well, I'm going to think about that now because now what I'm thinking is you should use a similar type of phrase that iterates per platform and there may be some clue about the platform, whether it be your bank uh, you know, would the, the fact that it's a bank, maybe you would use, the, add the word bank into some phrase or, you know what I mean? Like use a phrase that alters per what type of thing you're doing. Like some, so that way you could remember it. Cause I don't, you know, I don't know how you're supposed to remember a million passwords. Again, my dad has them. He thinks he can write it all down on a piece of notebook paper and keep up with it for all, all websites. But I know that's not going to work. So it had to be headed toward, I mean, the the password thing seems like what an outdated weird thing that we had to be going to be free of them soon though, right? That's definitely something a lot of researchers are looking into. I think it's Microsoft now has been especially looking into ways to eliminate passwords either by switching, you know, the typical word character password for something like a fingerprint Mm -hmm. or a retina scan or some other kind of biometric thing that's more unique to an individual person and then also doesn't require you to remember quite as much. So those are some options that I think will become more popular as time goes on. But there's not an obvious front runner for what will happen or get a chip or something. The retina ones work. I mean, the face scanners seem to be working decently. Mm -hmm. Like I have it on my Surface computer and my iPhone both work pretty well on that. Yeah, I'd say there's a lot more interest in that and in the fingerprints as well. I think those might be places where people look to first. Um, some other places are even going to something like a physical token that you would use. Ooh, like um, that. So that's kind of seems a little, you know, almost regressive, like a physical key. But at the same time, it's another thing that only you would have, hopefully, on your person that you could somehow kind of plug in or connect via Bluetooth to Mm-hmm. you know, log into a system. Well, see, I don't think of that as regressive given the fact that it the, the token itself wouldn't have any value and like you probably have mm-hmm. a zero downtime option. I, I do that with a recording software. There's a, you know, a key that you have to plug in to use Pro Tools, for instance. And it's not that, I mean, it's a little bit of a pain, but at least, you know, if you lose it, it's still just a license. You could two-factor authenticate and just get a replacement one. But the fact that you didn't have to enter the password or it's already plugged in or when you walk into the room, everything's unlocked for you, that's not regressive at all. That'd be amazing. Yeah, like, no, that's true. That, that would be that would be terrific. So even that would be a step forward. And it sounds like Microsoft is getting into that. So Microsoft is, you know, I don't know from your point of view on that, I'm sure you have a lot better point of view than me, but from my point of view, Microsoft is doing some really interesting and aggressive stuff that I don't feel like is out in the public, especially with AR and 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 some of this other stuff. It, from what I've heard from friends and people that work there and articles and rumors and, and their public stuff, it seems like they're really getting busy with some new technologies that I don't think have quite hit the mainstream yet. 
Oh yeah, I think they definitely are. And, you know, that's kind of one of the issues about talking about tech right now is that in a lot of cases, analysts will tell me that they're hearing about really interesting use cases for things like AR, but yeah, it's not public. So we don't know and we won't know and probably for years sometimes until those projects actually hit the market. But Microsoft's definitely taken um, a big stance on things like blockchain right now, like AR and a bunch of other emerging technologies that I think all of these tech giants are trying to make their mark in. Well, let's speculate on it anyway. How about that? Sure. What are some what are some rumors and things you hear from analysts about? Uh, you know, Microsoft maybe, but just AR specifically. Because what's their thing called? It's called the uh, Microsoft. What is the that program they're doing? Uh, the Hololens. Hololens. Yeah, the Hololens is the lead part of that at, for for now. What do you know about that? It sounds like they're getting ready to do a lot with it. I think they are. I honestly don't know a ton about the HoloLens itself. Um, I kind of specialize more in, you know, whatever the breaking news is, but then from across all of these different companies. So I don't know when it comes to specs, but in terms of AR in general, you know, I think at first we've, you know, a lot of people found out about it because of Pokemon Go and that was kind mm -hmm. of the big consumer application of this, but it's made a lot more strides on the business side than it has on the consumer side at this point. Um, you know, we have, AR being used in companies for things like uh, task itemization, like they're giving people a list of what to do on a warehouse floor, you know, on smart glasses or a headset or something. Uh, we're also seeing more uses in terms of design and collaboration. I think on the Wayfair app, you can, you know, in real time, see what like a couch would look like in your living room, that kind of thing. Um, and so we're definitely starting to see more applications of that mm -hmm. all over the place. Yeah, well, it's typical of Microsoft that they're probably in the business development stuff first. So it's not like they're probably going to announce some amazing consumer level AR thing. But, you know, I think they've that's kind of been their model before is to build up these business intensive structures, IT structures and stuff like that uh, mm -hmm. that are immovable. And, and so maybe they'll have success with that. But I'm pretty excited about it. The Pokemon Go was such a weird thing, how it just all of a sudden, mm -hmm. you know, people that have been interested in augmented reality have been thinking about it for, I don't know, forever. And uh, all of a sudden, this game pops out where it just goes, and then everybody gets it all of a sudden, and then that's it, relatively quiet. You know, like it's just that mm -hmm. one little yeah. thing that gives people a peek, and I don't think people still get it yet. Um, and I think it's just mm -hmm. so weird that that one AR application kind of poked out there for a minute and then kind of died down. No, that was quite the week of excitement. <laughs> you know, so many people say that was the happiest America's been in a long time. <laughs> But yeah, no, I think it'll be really interesting to see where it goes. Um, we're seeing more places like stores even starting to explore this technology. Mm -hmm. Like I mentioned, Wayfair. Um, I wrote a big story about Sephora, the makeup chain, and all of the. I didn't see that, but tell me. I know that store because my wife shops there. Tell me about what Sephora's doing. Oh, yeah, they're doing a ton of innovative stuff right now. Um, they're using AI, AR, um, all kinds of technologies to better kind of connect customers with what they're looking for. So on their app, they have um, a feature where basically it scans your face and you can try on makeup in real time on this app to see what it will look like on you, different mm -hmm. kinds of, you know, lipsticks and eyeshadows and things directly on your skin. So that's pretty cool. Um, and they're doing a lot of things. Uh, they have a tool where they kind of hold this wand up to your arm and they can tell using AI kind of what skin type you have, what products you could use. Um, a lot of things like that. And it's all about kind of trying to solve customer pain points and using that technology to better get people what they're looking for. 
So, you know, you really do run into this thing real quick. If you zoom out at all, you realize that all companies are becoming tech companies, right? It's just yes, your makeup. Exactly. Sephora's a makeup company that's supposed to deal mm-hmm. with eyeshadow and the color of whatever, base stuff. And here it is. AI is the best way to do it. Here we go. Mm-hmm, exactly. You know, as more and more companies have the capabilities to do this and also you know, have the ability to collect data, which lets them better understand their customers and then you know, make more sales ultimately there's no reason not to get into that space. Yeah. If, yeah. And well, it's harder for the American dream of the mom and pops to get into that is all is, is one issue. So now we have work. Let's talk about this. We have working against this a small timer, small companies don't have necessarily the ability to innovate AR solutions or AI solutions or even big data for the, for a lot of the part. Additionally, it seems like, some of this artificial intelligence and automation is probably the better word for it is, is going to be working against us in the job place anyway. So how are you seeing and hearing from other analysts and, and what stories are going on out there about the debate of is this automation wave going to help us or hurt us, at least in the workplace and for jobs? Yeah, it's definitely a huge topic right now among everybody. And I think we see a lot of headlines that are pretty scary about robots stealing all of our jobs. But it's kind of a nuanced issue, I think, more so than you would think on first glance. And it depends on who you're talking to and which research you're looking at. Um, I think, you know, on the one hand, we've seen technology and even automation coming into the workplace for a really long time, you know, for several decades. And we've been adding tech and changing the nature of jobs for many years. And you you see the invention of the phone and the Internet gave way to a lot more jobs as opposed to just getting rid of the town crier jobs. So there are different ways to look at it. Um, I think the bigger issue is kind of the speed at which these digital technologies have been growing in their power. And that's what's leading more people to be kind of concerned about it. So we've seen that research firm Gartner said that they believe that AI will destroy 1.8 million jobs by 2020. So within two years. 2020, oh my gosh. Oh, yeah, but also that it's going to create 2.3 million jobs mm-hmm. in that same time. So that means ultimately it's going to drive a net gain of about 500,000 new jobs. So the question then is kind of, oh, well, who are those jobs for? Do you need specialized yep. skills for them? You know, will right. it actually be something that people who are displaced can take up? All of that stuff. So basically, it's no problem at all if you're a commercial truck driver that sits in truck stops so long as in the next couple of years you'll be a a qualified data scientist as long as you can make that transition you'll be fine right oh in that case yeah Yeah, you'd be doing great (laughs) but you know obviously that seems unrealistic for a lot of people and i think it's going to require on the one hand companies to really say okay we're going to reskill people to fill these new roles that we have um and you know people are going to have to take that initiative but it's yeah we're not exactly sure sure how it's going to play out. You know, there's mm-hmm. also debate over in terms of blue collar versus white collar jobs, who's right. going to be more impacted. One study said that they think 50% of blue collar workers will be out of a job because of AI. But on the other hand, we've already seen AI doing things like writing news stories and assisting in surgeries and scanning legal documents yep, and making right. legal arguments. So everyone's a little bit at risk in different ways. Um, I think ultimately what Gartner and some of the other analysts believe is that AI will be working with humans to augment human workers rather than just Mm -hmm. replace them. So the goal is to help humans work better, faster, smarter, more efficiently, and take away some of those repetitive tasks to free you up to do higher level things. So Mm -hmm. 
hopefully that ends up being the case. But you have to think through that in your particular career, you know, because it's, I mean, you, you know, I use that extreme example of data scientists because I think that's like the top job you could have if you, these days. I think it got ranked as one of the top jobs. And truck driver is the most, one of the most, or transportation drivers for people, blue collar, regular people. It's one of the biggest ones that's threatens you know so that gap is huge but there's not a ton for those people to retrain so there will be losers there i mean you know what i mean that the people in the middle are some surprises too uh like paralegal could be just gone and that's a serious job you know that that pays well and is you know it's a great job that's very white collar and that job could be gone but the lawyer and litigators and people that do the human facing stuff are predicted to be so far behind you know like that's going to persist for a really long time so it's even nuanced in what jobs in a certain field are going to be totally gone you know find, find tons of financial and accountant stuff i mean accountants mm -hmm. a really good job you got the you know the cpa thing and you wear your glasses and wear a nice suit and talk to people about money but you might be automated away even in that white collar job mm -hmm. no it's definitely true and yeah there's a lot of nuance and i think one of the best ways to kind of protect your job or you know, is to look for a job where there is a lot of human interaction, a lot mm. of human facing, because, you know, in the end, our machines are not up to that level yet. You know, you can't just talk to a customer service bot and get the same level of service that mm. you would talking to a human. So at this point, that's something that companies are still looking for is that real ability to communicate and connect and be creative. And that's what's going to kind of help us keep our jobs going forward, I think. And so you're relatively optimistic then on the job creation? Thing, or at least, are you you put that in the near term that you're optimistic? I think at this point, it's a tough question. I honestly know sometimes we see these very scary studies that say we're all kind mm -hmm. of doomed, and other times it seems like there's a little bit more hope. So I think in the near term, I'm optimistic. Long term, over the coming fifty years, I'm not quite as sure. Yeah, you nothing. You, yeah, you couldn't know, of course. But I mean, if you just uh, you know the mm -hmm. unintended consequence of stuff is just so hard to even get a grip on like little changes that are happening all around us that seem to be pretty profound just with just a little thing like the way Facebook works. I mean, it can be so profound in society. If you really have to think about transportation and retail being completely redefined in over the course of a couple of decades that we're in the middle of now, let's say, or another decade and a half, I, you, all, all bets and predictions are kind of off at that. I mean, who can imagine the world where retail and transportation don't involve many humans? I mean, it's just too hard mm -hmm. to imagine what the impacts that will have. But the retail one's real interesting. I read some that you were writing about of the way uh, that even Walmart is trying to do computer vision and automated stores. Is that is that an article you wrote, now. right? Yes, mm -hmm. I believe so. Uh, one thing, I think they're kind of following the example in particular of Amazon, mm -hmm. which has the Amazon Go store now in Seattle, and they're opening a couple bit more this year where basically you can walk into this grocery store, put everything you need in your cart and just walk out, no cashiers, everything. Basically, AI and computer vision can tell what you put in your cart, what you left with and just charge you automatically. So that's a concern for cashier jobs, of course, <laughs> but then also it does make things more convenient for shoppers potentially. So Walmart's trying to get in on a similar kind of prototype store. And I think others are going to follow. So we'll see if that could be the future of retail here fairly soon. It's hard to, I mean, I, I live here in Seattle. And I've seen the Amazon store and it's, it's, I, I know everybody isn't maybe caught up on that, but it's, it's, it's astonishing because, and I don't think they've got the bugs worked out, but that's just, I mean, that's just left to get worked out, but the, it seems to work, but the, it's, 
you know, just a few years ago, those computer vision stuff wasn't even, couldn't tell a cat and a dog from a human. I mean, or, or, or recognize a specific human or do stuff like that. And now it's literally, you you can walk into the store and they're just simply cameras that simply interpret and see what, who you are and what you take. And your Amazon Prime account is just charged accordingly. So you just go with no, you just go in and get what you want and leave. And if that's even remotely possible, obviously cashiers, but I mean, the people that's, you know, Amazon's doing all the stuff with how they stock and where they put the stores and deliver the stuff, all that's getting seem, seemingly automated too. And when you get all the way down to employer like Walmart doing that type of thing, good gosh. I mean, it, it, it seems a little ominous in, in that regard for the unskilled, you know, the unskilled labor thing. It's just... It, that they're going to be some big losers there. Obviously, McDonald's with their uh, <laughs> McDonald's employees are by far the worst thing about McDonald's currently, in my personal opinion. That mm-hmm. there's the biggest weakness they have is the people that work there. Mm-hmm. But they are introducing the screens there, and you know, it just it just seems like that. And when we have the minimum wage crunch and all these things, it's uh, it's an interesting time. I think it's going to move way faster than some people are thinking. Oh, yeah. No, when you really even just look at the past 10 years and all of the things that have changed and how much computing power has sped up, we have now everything is changing incredibly rapidly. So it's almost impossible to tell where we'll be 10 years from now if things mm-hmm. keep up at this pace. And that is a little scary. But, you know, some companies are trying to step in. Um, I think Google has a really big initiative right now to retrain a lot more people to try and get them some tech skills and other things so that they will be able to fill future jobs. And I I think we're going to colleges and high schools and trade schools and every level just to prepare people for the jobs that will actually be out there. Yeah, and, you know, that's one of the things that's really frustrating is still, you know, the, this, the, the way we learn is not going to be able to keep, isn't currently keeping up for most people because most people just think, well, do you have, we have an education system and we train people until they're 17 or 18 and then, you know, that should be good. But people, you know, our learning has to, learning and training has to change fundamentally because it's it's obviously a lifelong thing. It has no, there's nothing that's going to make sense in the future, and that's got to be right now that you can learn in even 25 years of schooling and then be done learning. That's just absurd. I mean, it just makes no sense. People are going to change jobs uh, many times because any field you go into might not exist in 10 years. So I imagine I'll be in two or three more fields in my lifetime. And I'm almost 40. Mm-hmm. And so th- that will include a ton of training and learning and developing. And so, you know, just that that whole thing of getting, I mean, I couldn't be happier than if Google and some of these tech people can forecast what our gaps are going to be and give people opportunities to learn or train or train progressively or get ahead. But, you know, if you're alive, you can bank on the fact that you'll be learning some intense stuff in the, a decade from now that will be really important. So your reliance on stuff like mm-hmm. school, public school is going to have to go down, I imagine. And maybe it'll be these tech companies that, that, you know, give us, empower us to learn so that we can have jobs. That would be a, a nice outcome. Oh, yeah, it's possible. I mean, I think I came from actually an education reporting background. So I've seen that schools are trying to fill the gaps in a lot of ways. You know, we're teaching kids to mm-hmm. code at a lot younger ages, things like that. But there is definitely still a lot of work to be done. And, you know, so many of these kids are going to be entering the workforce into jobs that we didn't know existed when they were in kindergarten. So we're going to have to, especially on the jobs, you know, reskilling constantly is going to be a big thing. And that's what a lot of workers are looking for. Reskilling, that's great way to say it. Mm -hmm. 
again, people aren't wanting to stay at the same company for years and years and years anymore. They want mm-hmm. to continually develop their skills and find new avenues. And so in some ways, this, you know, changing workforce is a good way so that people can explore different passions, different options for them, potentially make more money. So that's that's potentially what I'm yeah. said. I mean, it can be really good news if you're in a position to acquire new skills and learn and enjoy things and not resist change. If you can get your mindset that way, some of the best jobs ever hadn't been created yet. Maybe you can have it. It doesn't exist yet. So, you know, get, mm-hmm. you know, learn what you can learn about what's interesting to you as much as you can. And who knows what, you know, there might be some really good opportunities there. My wife is an executive assistant and it worries me. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a good, you know, that, that job has got to be diminishing over time. So if she's one of the best executive assistants, then that's good. She might could be the one that supports five executives um, with AI-assisted technology, but the other four may not have jobs, you know. So I'm, I'm trying to think of what somebody, you know, in whatever field you're in, you have to think what, what is a reasonable pivot or another area that's, you know, going. And, uh, you know, people aren't going to retire with a gold watch in the same position when they, they start when they're 30. That's just not going to happen. No, it's true. The workforce makeup has changed so much. and. We have so many things going on with millennials entering the workforce and the generation below them and then baby boomers often still working. Um, so I think everyone's kind of trying to figure out, but it is harder, especially for older workers or people in minimum wage jobs to really think about how they can be learning tech skills when they're just trying to, you know, make it and right. make their rent and everything. Right. So that's definitely a big issue as well. But, you know, maybe I sound just really dumb, even musing about this stuff, given the fact that people that are my kid's age, that it, I don't think maybe they won't even need the advice I'm trying to give here about new skill and how you learn. And maybe it's just going to be fundamental to them. I'm, you know, the, the generation after the millennial, perhaps they'll just intuitively get the ongoing ecosystem of tech and learning and development in a way that, that could be really good. Yeah. And then it'll just be me not understanding it because I'm too old, which I'm really worried about <laughs> for people my age. You know, the people um, that grew up, you know, they, I guess they call it Xenial now, between Generation X and Millennials. I was born in 79, but uh, completely analog childhood. I didn't have anything connected or information stuff till college, basically. And so I feel like we're the, the if you're my age, you're at greatest risk to be the most left behind generation ever. Like, you know how your grandma, it was funny how she couldn't use a cell phone or something. Well, it's not going to be funny when you don't know how to shop online in the future, you know, or, or navigate stuff. If you're went to high school with me that I think you could be really in bad shape. Whereas even your kids will probably more intuitively get the way things go progressively. So I'm a little bit nervous about that. So I'm trying to talk myself into flexibility and more learning because I'm a little nervous. Yeah, no, I think it's fair to be nervous about it. We really don't know what's going to happen and how it's going to change. It's, yeah, I think the best case is to try and be flexible, and especially if you have the being to, to try and learn new skills and keep yourself open to new things and the way that technology is, you know, try not to fear it if we can. Try not to fear it, that's right. And don't do that thing where you go, ah, that's that new whatever for the kids, that's what they, you know, you, you know don't You'll if it catches on, you'll just be late to the party yet again. You know you thought so. Try not to repeat that mistake. Um, can you tell me when you when you do your writing, you say you talk to analysts and people in in there. How does that? Do you is it like that? You know sources and stuff like that. Do you have sources at tech companies that are anonymous or just people? You just have good relationships with their 
departments and stuff like that? How do you get the information when you do your research to write an article? Sure. When I'm writing a feature story, um, often I will kind of come up with an idea, maybe sometimes from a pitch from somebody or sometimes just from, you know, talking to people, reading a lot of things. My lights just went off in this what? office. One moment. <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically um, I kind of have a bunch of analysts that I will call on from firms like Gartner, Forrester, 451 Research. So these are people whose job it is to, you know, research these different tech topics, whether it's AI or cybersecurity or Internet of Things, all of them. Mm -hmm. So they've kind of looked at the numbers, they've worked with client expertise. So I will call on them to kind of flesh out what I'm looking for and hopefully get some actionable items for our readers who are a lot of tech and business leaders. So yeah, I'm mostly wanting people who have you know done the research. Um, I don't usually use anonymous sources. Sometimes I'll talk to people directly at tech companies, depending on what the story is. But um, I, I think I've almost always did who those people are. It's all been on the record. Mm -hmm. That's good. Because I mean, I know they have secrets. So it's got, I'm just wondering, is that landscape out there with the rumors? And does that look bad? Is it, look, you know, like, is it? different than political or other journalism where it's like, well, there's real information out there and there's people that leak it or unconfirmed sources, or is that unethical in tech to do? It seems different, you know, in, in those worlds. I was just curious about the ethics of that a little bit. Or is it a problem yeah, these companies have people leaking stuff, feature. you know? Oh, sure. Yeah. I think we see sometimes, you know, like Bloomberg or New York Times or somebody will have a report that, you know, say, uh, you know, X company is going to release a new phone next week and here, are, you know, what we think is going to be on the phone. And a lot of times I think they have some anonymous sources within those companies to give them that information um, because they're, you know, going for general audience who's going to be more interested in that. Uh, for my side, you know, we're a B2B publication. So we're directly to businesses. So we're more looking for um, things that'll kind of directly help their business to give them tips and to give them kind of more mm -hmm. insights. So less product focused, but that definitely happens for other publications for sure. Yeah, I was just curious about that. I hadn't really thought about it before, but yeah, no, I know there's the real tight, it's just that intellectual property has got to be so valuable and there's got to be a lot of unethical stuff going on in journalism with that. I mean, there just, there would have to be bad employees and bad journalists, but it's looked at, that's known to be a bad practice to pay somebody that works at a company for a secret, right? Like I'm not, I'm, I'm sure y'all don't do it. I'm just saying, is that, is that what's going on at, on a lot of websites or things like that? Is that a problem? Um, to be honest, I'm not really sure outside of my own publication. You know, I think you, you know, if someone just ethically as a journalist, if you have a source, say in a company and they tell you, oh, I'm going to give this off the record, you can't publish it. Then if you publish it after that, that's not okay to mm -hmm. do. But if you have a source who says, oh, you know, I have this information, I'll give it to you. Just don't use my name. You know, it's still rumored, but you can talk about it. Just keep me anonymous. Then that's different than and then to say, oh, this is a rumor, but it came from someone inside the company, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. totally. um, yeah, I think it depends on the publication, but, you know, ethically, you should adhere to off the record and things like that if you're a journalist, for sure. Mm -hmm. I had one more thing I missed earlier that I wanted to ask. Uh, if you've done it when we were thinking about cybersecurity, is the, when you combine that with artificial intelligence and in the future, are you aware of, 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 us being real concerned with cyber terrorism, like not just password phishing and the stuff like that, but actual real damage done through cyber attacks. Yeah, no, that's definitely a concern. You know, we've seen that election hacking is a big issue right now, especially with the mm -hmm. U.S. midterms coming up. Um, we've seen, you know, nation states are getting 
in on different, you know, factions. And it's definitely something to be wary of, um, something, again, that companies should especially be careful with since they have so many customers' information and data. So I would say that, yeah, we're going to have to continue paying attention to that and really fighting against it. I think a lot of people don't know where to start. I was at a conference a couple months ago and someone from the UN was speaking on a panel and she just said, like, we are so behind with cybersecurity. And we, honestly, a lot of people don't know what they're doing here. And we're Ooh, trying scary. to figure it out. But the hackers are moving really quickly. Yeah, it is something scary to think about. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of catching up to do. Yeah, because I mean, people stealing your information or identity is one thing. But, you know, destroying our power grid or an election, that's a whole, that's mm -hmm. like, I, I, I don't feel like we're prepared to deal with those things <laughs> at all. So. No, it's true. And there are a lot of, again, with connected things, and especially now we're seeing more connected cities, yeah, power grids, lighting systems, there are more opportunities for people to get into those and attack them. So the manufacturers and the people overseeing that really need to make sure that cybersecurity is built in from the beginning to keep those systems as safe as possible. Mm, yeah, interesting. Well, I think Tech Republic and your stuff is is really good. And you know what I love is the way that you just have little summaries and the t the takeaway points right there in in the article. I find that really really good. Uh, and you refer to Tech Republic as a B to B. It's business to business. Is that how do you how to explain that a little more? Sure. Yeah. So we are a technology news publication that our audience specifically is technology and business leaders. So uh -huh. again, we're kind of uh, business facing. We're not writing necessarily for anyone out there, you know, we want to give those actionable news and items and features to business leaders so they can take them back to their companies and, you know, really put them to use. Well, very good. I thought there was some of that that I'd like to share and I'd like to recommend people get it, um, you know, to, to get on Tech Republic and do, you do, what do you have, a, do you have an email list or you just like people to go to the site? And follow. What do you like people to do the most? Yeah, you can go to techrepublic.com to see our news and features. And you can also go to ZDNet, one of our sister publications, and CNET, which does more consumer-facing technology news. So that might give you a little bit more about things like video games and also kind of general tech news and what's happening in the world. Yeah, totally. I've seen some of these uh, come up and just found the articles interesting. I was glad to get to talk to you a little bit and share this, even if it's B2B, down to other people so they can you know, think about it with yeah. us a little bit. Um, but I do recommend checking okay. it out. And I didn't know those were your other companies, but I, I'm familiar with them as well. But good luck to you, and we'll tell people to follow. Uh, did you want? Do you like people to follow your Twitter or anything specifically like that? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Allison Denisco. That your twi Twitter is just Allison Denesco. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, very good. Um, I appreciate the time today. I enjoyed this very much. Great. Thank you so much. I appreciate it as well. Ever heard of stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of stoicism with a lowercase s and not stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is Stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching Stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested. 
through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it. That's what ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware, when your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise, and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come true. The post-Cold War era is over. Dot com, the hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dot com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe.